We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. If you haven't done so already, would you take your Bibles and join me in turning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We continue our study, our great and glorious hope. And this morning, we have titled the message, Don't Be Deceived. It is a applicable title for so much that is going on in the world right now. How many of you right now feel like that it seems like everywhere you turn there is a deception? How many of you can honestly say that you know at some point you have been deceived? Maybe it was deceived by someone in government. Maybe it was deceived by a religious teacher. Maybe it was deceived by someone who is very close to you and it was very personal. But throughout the course of life, deceptions are real and deceivers are real. And we have to be a people who are on guard, who are vigilant, who are paying attention and who know what we believe and why we believe it. Because if we don't, those deceptions can lead to confusion and they can lead to discouragement, which is exactly what's taking place in the church at Thessalonica. As we walk through chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, we saw that Paul wrote it to comfort the church at Thessalonica. Chapter 2 is he is clearing up confusion because they have been deceived. They've been deceived by false teachers and because of that deception, now they have believed things that just aren't true. And when you believe lies, it will affect everything about the way that you live. So we want to be a people who know the truth, love the truth, embrace the truth, and the truth then protects our hearts and minds or guards them in Christ Jesus. So let's see how that can be done as we stand together and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I will warn you that as we stand, this is not only a powerful passage, but at first reading, it may seem that it could be a confusing passage. If you will stay with me over the next 30 minutes, I don't believe that this is a confusing passage at all. In fact, if you'll stay with me, I think you may have more clarity about end times events than we have had in a very long time because it's actually very straightforward and we're going to walk through it together. But first, let's read. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him, we ask you, brothers, not to become so easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction." He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Lord, today I pray that we would hold fast to the truth so that we would not allow deceptions to discourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. And that is our big idea this morning, and that is going to drive our time together today. As we walk through this text, we need to hold fast to the truth so that we don't let deceptions discourage us. 
When Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church, he's writing to a group of people that have lost their joy. He's writing to a group of people that have lost their hope. They've become discouraged. They've become anxious. They've become frustrated. We, we see as you just walked through this and used a highlighter to pick up some of the descriptor words that you see. Verse 2 says they were unsettled and that they were alarmed. Verse 3 says that they were deceived. And so because of this, an attitude has come over this church, both the people individually and the church as a whole. And now they are stressed out, they are worried, they are anxious, they've lost their peace, they've lost their comfort. And because of that, they are not being as, in, as effective as they should be. How many of you know that if you are deceived, if you find yourself stressed out, worried, anxious, that you will not be as effective in your life as God means you to be. When we are distracted by lies, it is absolutely not, we are unable to focus on the truth. So Paul calls them together and says, let me correct some things in your theology because your practical daily lives are going to be messed up if your doctrine is messed up. We shouldn't allow anyone to convince us that theology is not important or that doctrine is not important. We have so many places that all they want to talk about is quote-unquote practical living. But there is nothing more practical than knowing what we believe and why we believe it because it determines everything else about how we approach life and the Thessalonian church has gotten off course. I can tell you that it's not just the church at Thessalonica that over 2,000 years of church history has gotten off course. Churches and people get off course all of the time when they are deceived, and they've specifically been deceived about end times events. And because of this deception, Paul is writing to them, and if you saw in verse 5, if you read a little bit of aggravation or a little frustration in verse 5, you should have. Because he says, don't you remember that I've already taught you about this? In fact, he's already written to them about this in 1 Thessalonians. We studied that together. But people can easily forget. How many of you know that? It is easy to forget. It's easy to forget simple day-to-day -day things. And sometimes it's easy to forget the most important things. And we need to be reminded over and over again because it's not as if the deceptions have stopped. It's not as if the lies have stopped. They keep coming at us so we keep having to be reminded of the truth and going back to the truth and going back to the Word of God. And Paul says, I've already told you about this, but I love you enough that I'm going to tell you again because this is going to make so much of a difference in whether you have any victory in your life or hope in your life or joy in your life. So Paul hits this head on. It was only been a few months since Paul had written the first letter, and yet just in a few months' time, they were having this collective panic attack. You see that in the church it seems like they have become frantic and we know the reason why because Paul told us in verse 2 what had happened. The reason they had become unsettled and alarmed is because of a prophecy, a report, and a letter that has not come from them but somebody has said it was from Paul. So there's been a forgery. There's been a forged letter. There's been a false prophecy. Some teacher has come into the church at Thessalonica claiming to have a message from Paul and having a forged letter from Paul. So the people buy into it hook, line, and sinker. And now, in just a couple of months' time since Paul wrote 1 Thessalonians, they've gotten completely off track. And so Paul knows this is going on in the church. And so the specific deception that was being led 
And this, these difficult times and the persecution that the Thessalonian church was undergoing had made them susceptible to this false teaching. And specifically, what was being said? The false teachers were teaching that they had missed the rapture and that they were in the day of the Lord. You've, you've missed the rapture. Well, how many of you would be stressed out if you thought you had missed the rapture? How many of you would lose your sense of peace if you thought the church had been raptured and you had missed it? How many of you looking around at the times and, and what you've read about end times events, how many of you could say right now unequivocally, I don't want to live in the tribulation? How many of you want to be raptured? How many of you want to be rescued? So wouldn't you think that it is very important that we understand end times events and know what's coming so that we can approach every day with a degree of confidence? So as we walk through this together, I think you're going to see that, that it may be much more simple than what came out on a first read. You see, when Paul says, this letter from, that was reportedly from Paul that told them they had missed the rapture and they were in the day of the Lord. Let's talk about the word day of the Lord. You have to understand that there's three different terms that are used here in this passage and you need to know how all three of them are used. The first two terms when the, in, first, in verse 1 when he says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. What's he talking about there? The coming of Christ and our being gathered to him. He's talking about the rapture. He's saying there are people that have taught you that you've missed the rapture and that because you have missed the rapture, you are now in the day of the Lord. So the day of the Lord and the rapture are not the same thing. Everybody with me? You've got to know that or this passage is not going to make sense. The day of the Lord and the rapture, the coming or the gathering together of the saints and the, and the day of the Lord are two different events. The day of the Lord is talking about the judgment that is coming upon the earth during the tribulation, but specifically the last three and a half years of the tribulation. The book of Daniel, all throughout the New Testament, Jesus' teaching says that the last three and a half years of the tribulation is when the Antichrist is going to be unleashed, the rebellion is going to occur before that, and the hell on earth like none other is going to take place during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So these people are looking around and they're seeing all of the persecution and difficulty that's going on around them and they think, well, maybe this teacher is right. Maybe we have missed the rapture and maybe we are in the day of the Lord or in the middle of the tribulation. And so you can understand why they're having a panic attack. They're collectively saying, we're not supposed to be here, right? Now, there's a lot of discussion about pre-tribulation rapture, mid-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. If these people believed that Jesus was coming at the end of the tribulation, then they wouldn't have been unsettled. They wouldn't have been alarmed. They wouldn't have been confused. Why? Because they would actually be looking forward to His coming, not losing their mind that they had missed it. 
They had been taught by Paul, both in person and in 1 Thessalonians, that the rapture was going to come first, then the tribulation, which in the midst of the tribulation we call the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the tribulation. After that seven-year time period, then and only then would Jesus make his bodily return to earth, crush every rebellion, crush Satan and his demons, lock them away for a millennium, which is a literal thousand-year reign, in which Jesus would reign over the earth and only after that thousand years would Satan and all of the demons of hell be released for a short time and that at the end of that short time they would forever be destroyed and placed into the lake of fire and at that point everything will be destroyed by fire and Jesus will recreate a new heaven and a new earth where the saved children of God will populate it and live forever and ever and ever. If you don't have the order of events right, then what happens is you are susceptible to every whim. You are susceptible to every deception and you are susceptible to every false teacher and false report. And Paul says, we've talked about these things. I've written about these things. You should know these things. And then we see a word that pops up. He says, one of the reasons that you ought to know that you are not in the tribulation, specifically in the last three and a half years of the tribulation, remember that's the day of the Lord, is that the Antichrist hasn't appeared. Here you see it as the man of lawlessness. Do you see, see that word? The Antichrist or the man of lawlessness. He is the little horn in Daniel 7. He is the beast of the sea in Revelation chapter 13. So we always hear about the Antichrist. And I think sometimes because that seems almost fanciful to some people, we dismiss the theology behind understanding who is this man of lawlessness. Who is this beast of the sea, this little horn? Who is this and how is this going to apply? Well, to be very, to be very straightforward about it, we need to understand that there is a difference in lowercase letter A, Antichrist, and capital a antichrist all right so let me explain to you that there is antichrist lowercase a that all of us are dealing with all the time in fact since the fall in genesis chapter 3 the spirit of antichrist lowercase a has been in the world everything that opposes the work of christ is anti or against christ we see that from satan in the garden we see that from the fall of man. Every attempt at genocide that we read about in the book of Ruth, every attempt at genocide that we saw when Pharaoh tried to destroy the Jews, when we see that every two-year-old male and under that was going to be destroyed by Herod, all of that is the spirit of the Antichrist or the spirit of Antichrist. We see that we live in a fallen world that is Antichrist or against Christ, that the flesh in and of itself is against Christ. You know, people in your your life who don't follow Jesus and they are antichrist but there is a difference in antichrist lowercase and the uppercase a antichrist what Paul is talking about here is not just the spirit of those who are against Christ he's talking about capital a antichrist the antichrist and who is this antichrist history has had its share of wicked human leaders from Pol Pot's regime in Cambodia to Hitler to hundreds of people. In fact, there's never been a generation that people have not pointed that this person is possibly the Antichrist. But what we know 
from the book of Daniel and what we know from Paul's teaching in Thessalonians and what we know from Jesus in the Gospels and what we know from Revelation is this, is that there is coming a world leader who is going to surpass them all. Yes, even Hitler in his wickedness. Now I want to clear this up for you. The Antichrist is not Satan. The Antichrist is a real, physical human being. It is not Satan himself, but he will be energized by Satan and he will be manipulated by Satan. And Satan will receive glory for his destruction that he brings about. A real person, he is going to be alive during the seven year tribulation. People, some may know about him, but his rise to power is going to come up during the last three and a half years of the, of the tribulation. And he is going to rise in such a fashion that in those moments, he is going to wield more evil influence than anyone before him. We see here that it tells us he will defy God, he will claim to be God, and he will lead the world into destruction. You see the rebellion that it talks about in verse 3. When it talks about this rebellion that occurs when the man of lawlessness shows up, this rebellion is going to precede the last three and a half years of the tribulation, the day of the Lord. But since it has not taken place, the day of the Lord couldn't have arrived. Now here is re some really important information about end times events. I, don't, I want you to kind of lock in with me. Because I feel like so often we are confused about some things that we don't need to be confused about. We're confused about some things that I think the Bible is very straightforward about. People shy away from eschatology and end times because they either say, well, it's too confusing, I don't really understand it, there's so many differing interpretations, or some people even make, have the notion that it doesn't really matter. Well, since I'm saved, that really shouldn't matter to me. But I would submit to you, if it was important in the Old Testament, and it was important to Jesus, and it was important to Paul, and it was important to John the Revelator, where can we get off saying that the end times are not important for us to talk about? I'm glad you're saved. But if you're saved, that shouldn't be your reason for not caring about it. That should be your reason to be very much concerned. Now I'll say this, I believe there are people that have gone off the reservation that they focus so much on the end times events that they forget that there is a life that we are supposed to live now in preparation for those events. But being educated and biblically knowledgeable about what we're going to expect, that only makes sense. Some of you are preparing for retirement or you're preparing for a career or you're preparing for a vacation. If you would take the time to prepare for any of those three things, don't you think it'd be worth a little bit of your time to pray and think about what all of eternity is going to look like? That's why eschatology is absolutely important. When the Bible was written, only 25% of, of the Bible was prophetic, meaning it hadn't happened yet. Now, 80% of the Bible has already been fulfilled, and it has been fulfilled with 100% accuracy. What that means is there is still a remaining 20% of biblical prophecy yet to be fulfilled. And what we know from history is every other prediction has been dead on. So what do we think is going to happen with the remaining 20%? Come close. You ready? God's right. God's right. It's how it's going to unfold. So when it says the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 1, and our being gathered to Him, we understand that that is what? What did we say? That is the 
rapture. And the day of the Lord is what? The tribulation, specifically the, the wrath coming in the second part of the tribulation. So we've established that these people had been taught and understood from Paul that they would be raptured before the tribulation was going to take place. And they feared missing it. If they thought they were in the tribulation, they wouldn't have been unsettled. They would have known his coming was right around the corner. But here's another issue I think that's very important. People get very confused about this, and understandably. Are there signs that Jesus, that the Bible tells us, are going to precede the second coming of Christ? Does the Bible tell us there are signs? Right. The Antichrist is one of those signs. But doesn't the Bible tell us that he could come at any moment or any hour? Well, how do you reconcile those two things? You see, the, you see the problem? If there have to be all these signs, yet Jesus can come at any moment, how can I believe he could come at any moment if there have to be a whole bunch of signs that haven't happened yet? That's actually what Paul is addressing right here. And that's another reason why the pre-tribulation rapture is so important. Because with a biblical understanding, what we know is, is that the rapture could occur when? In the twinkling of an eye. He's going to come like a thief in the night. But the, during the tribulation is when all of those signs and wonders that Jesus talks about in Matthew and that are described by Paul, all of those things are going to happen, but they are going to take place during that seven-year tribulation as signs to those as if they needed to have more signs after they've seen people caught up in the air and disappeared. But after that happens, there's going to be sign after sign after sign, wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and all of the things, pestilence, the Antichrist, all of those things are going to take place during that seven-year tribulation. So that even though wickedness has befallen the earth, what we know is there's going to be two prophets that are sent, 144,000 Jews that are going to be saved, evangelists that are going forth, and sign after sign after sign that the Bible has told us was coming, including this Antichrist, so that even in the seven years of the darkest time in all of the world, there will be no one who doesn't have an excuse to point their head towards Jesus and say, save me by your blood, because I see that every prediction you've made is coming true. Friends, it is very possible to believe that he is a soon-in-coming king because I could be raptured at any moment, but still understand that there have to be signs that unfold before his second coming to earth. Do you understand? Are y'all following me on the difference in those two things? There is a rapture and a second coming. The rapture and the second coming are not the same two events. The Bible spells that out very clearly. But we're back to this de deception that we've read about. You see in verse 3, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. Deception leads to worry. Deception leads to anxiety. Deception leads to fear and deception leads to panic. Forgetting the truth leads you vulnerable to believing whomever and whatever. But if you hold fast to the truth about who God is and what He has revealed, it is a protection to us. We know that the Bible says that Satan is a deceiver, that Satan is the father of lies. So we, what we know is that we become much more gullible 
when stressful situations come upon us and we get emotional. Any of you in here ever made a bad decision? One or two? It doesn't always happen this way. Sometimes you make bad decisions just because you make bad decisions. But oftentimes we make really bad decisions when we find ourselves lonely, tired, hungry, angry, when we find ourselves emotional, when we get ourselves in situations that are overwhelming. And most of you that have made bad decisions know that those bad decisions often compound themselves. One bad decision leads to another bad decision leads to another bad decision. And sometimes it's because we have become so overwhelmed that now we are gullible to people. It's why, to give you a very common example, it's why often sometimes people that have been in a relationship or even come out of a marriage, unfortunately, they find themselves broken and the next relationship they get into is a terrible relationship. And one of the reasons for that is because when we're emotionally bankrupt, we become gullible. Well, if you flesh that out to your spiritual life, if you are stressed out, worried, and anxious, and you don't know who you believe, what you believe and why you believe it, then any huckster that comes by with any form of theology and doctrine, you'll grab onto it because you're desiring that somehow that would give you the hope that you're looking for. And I would tell you that... That is why the word of faith, prosperity theology, and so many other false doctrines have come along and whisked people away because they were gullible, because they were emotional, because they were stressed out and they were trying to hold on to hope and somebody dangled something in front of their face that they said, that sounds good, I'll grab on to that. And so friends, I would tell you, you need to know what you believe before the stress comes, before the worry comes, before the deception comes before you're gullible. You need to know what you believe. I'll give you another example from relationships. We tell students all the time, know what your limits are when you are in a relationship with a person of the opposite sex. Because if you don't know what your limits are before you're into the situation, I'm telling you, you won't have a limit. You'll go all the way. So what does in the world does that have to do with end times? Everything. If I don't know what I believe now, then when the dark times of my life come, I am susceptible to being blown about by every stray wind that comes my way. I've got to know my convictions. Paul begs them, verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. He's saying, come back to your senses and realize I wouldn't have changed what I taught you two months ago. I've taught you about this over and over and over again. He's begging them to realize that truth is not determined by passing feelings, but must rise above all situations and all difficulties. What we believe and why we believe it doesn't change when times get tough. But I have to know that. So at the end of the tribulation, what's going to take place? Remember, we have seven years, three and a half years of terror, and then three and a half years of all hell breaking loose. And what the Bible tells us is at the end of that seven-year time of tribulation that Christ will return in glory, that Christ will destroy the Antichrist. He will destroy the kingdom of the Antichrist. He will destroy what will be known as the abomination of desolation. He will destroy what has taken place and what has marred his kingdom. And he will destroy all the ungodly by casting them into the lake of fire. 
But listen to me. If you're saved, if you're saved, you shouldn't be having a panic attack about Judgment Day. Amen? You, you shouldn't be having a panic attack. It is for what that Christ set you free? Freedom. Freedom is not fear. Freedom is that you would live in the freedom of knowing that you are redeemed and that you are blood-bought. You need not fear Judgment Day if you're saved. So what does that mean for believers as we understand the end times events? Well, this is huge. In fact, if I had to summarize these verses, it would be exactly what I'm about to tell you. You and me, I'm talking to you if you're a believer. You and me, I'm not waiting on the Antichrist. I'm waiting on Christ. I'm waiting on Christ because Christ is going to return to rapture the church. And so that is the day that we're looking for. I would tell you it's only the deceived who lose their hope. It's only the deceived who lose their joy. It's only the deceived who lose their confidence. That's not us, church. That's not us. We're, deceived. we're not deceived. We've been given the Word of God. One of the reasons that as I prayed through what we were going to walk through months and months ago, one of the reasons I wanted to walk you through First and Second Thessalonians was because I want you to live in what we sang about this morning, that Jesus reigns in what? Victory, so we ought to live in victory. You have a hope, and that hope, Hebrews says, chapter 6, is steadfast and sure. It is an anchor for the soul. And that is not that you have to doubt and wonder what the events are going to be that are going to take place. You know. And if you don't know, it's because you are willfully ignorant. And there's no excuse for that. Because God desires you to know His truth and love His truth, and embrace His truth. And Paul, remember, he's not telling the Thessalonians this because he's interested in them being able to fill out some kind of chart. He's telling them this because he loves them. And he's pastorally concerned because he understands that this is absolutely essential to their day-to-day -day life. Friends, when we start thinking about the end times, when's that going to start? I have no idea. But I can tell you this. I'm ready. Say, so how do you know you're ready? Because I know a Savior whose name is Jesus, who bled and died for me. He's my substitution and my justification. He's all the grace I need and all the hope I have. He's my friend. He's the lover of my soul. He's my great and glorious shepherd. He is the door to the sheep. He is the great I am. He's our blessed redeemer and our only hope. He is our soon and coming king. He is our victor from the grave. He is our substitution. He is our everything. He is our crucified Savior and our risen King. And friends, He's coming again, and I believe that with all of my heart because the Bible told me so. And the Bible has told you so as well. If you are nervous about end times events, the only reason to be nervous is because you don't have a relationship with the one who is coming. If you don't, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. If you do, 
and you're not a part of this body of believers, would you be a part of a body of believers who desires not to be deceived, but to live in victory? Or maybe it is today that you are a church member and that you're here today and as we sing in just a few moments, you just want to raise your hands. You just want to come forward or right where you are, thank Jesus that He is in control. Understand this, He is sovereign. That that moment is not going to catch our God by surprise and He is in complete control of everything. That's my God and that's your God. Do you trust Him? Do you trust Him? Would you stand with me? Thanks for listening to FBC Summit. We are leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. For more information, visit our website, fbcsummit.org.